The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at upc.org forward slash young adults. My name is Brenna. If I don't know you, please come introduce yourself to me after we're done here tonight. I am the intern here at Convergence, and I am so glad to see all of you here tonight. Thank you so much for coming. You know, if you don't know me at all, there's just a few things that are really important that anyone who knows me knows. One, I love this place. Um, I've been at UPC now for six years. Now I work here for this year, and there's really nowhere I would rather be. Two, I'm a diehard Huskies fan. <laughs> Graduated from the University of Washington. I count down the days every year from the end of football season to the beginning of it, and I'm going to the Holiday Bowl at the end of the month, and so I'm in a really good mood. <laughs> I just, I am. It's been a, a great couple weeks here um, for me. The third thing that you would know about me, if you knew me well, is actually the answer to that question that John asked all of you. That one thing that I really, really wanted as a kid that I begged for and pleaded for, and that was a horse. See, Beth knows. Like most little girls, all I wanted was a pony. This was me, my first pony ride ever. Her name was Katie. She had a little red bow in her tail. She liked to kick people. Uh, We got along really well because as a small child, I also liked to kick people. It was a great match. Um, But from the first time I ever got to like go on a trail ride or like those little pony rides at the zoo, you know, they lead you around. Not really that exciting, but I fell in love. So I begged and I begged and it was on every Christmas list and on every birthday list and I made Easter and Valentine's Day list to add on to it. Uh, my parents didn't really like that, but it was there. Um, and who says whining doesn't work? Because eventually they did in fact let me take riding lessons. Uh, and from the first moment I got a lesson, I was hooked. Riding became everything. And this was really the next 14 years of my life. It was everything. And, and that's kind of... a diagram of where I started and where I ended up, and it was, for me, my identity. I loved it. I gave up dates and dances, spring break trips, everything you could imagine just to go to the barn. It was who I was. If you knew me in school and you got like, oh, who's that girl over there? The first thing out of people's mouths, oh, that's the horse girl. That's, which for me wasn't an insult. (laughs) But... It, it really was. It was everything I wanted to do. Um, put it in perspective, I got a full ride to college and still worked 30 hours a week just so I could ride my horse. Uh, it was what I lived for. It was my identity. Um, and coming into my senior year of college, I was in kind of a weird place. I had just broken up with my boyfriend in two and a half years and was getting that question that I'm sure we all got that we learned to hate. So what are you going to do after this? We don't really have an answer. Um, and kind of like, oh, I don't really know. And so I was in a place where I just did not know what I was going to do, praying about it. Hey, Lord, just give me a path. Anywhere you want me to go, send me. I'll do it. Just give me a clear answer. A friend of mine came up and said, hey, I'm going on this spring break trip with the Inn, which is a college ministry here at EPC. Come with me. We're going to the DR. And I thought, I've never done anything for spring break. I've always gone riding. Why don't I give it a shot? A few months later, ended up down there on the beach by myself praying that same prayer I've been praying for months. Lord, where am I going? And I don't hear the Lord, the Lord's voice very often, like a clear, tangible form, but it still gives me chills to think about it because what I heard in that moment was, Brenna, if you want to know where you're going, you've got to give up where you're at. 
I was a little confused, and the Lord, I don't really understand. And in no uncertain terms are these words. If you want me to take you where you're going, you've got to give up writing. And it, it wasn't a question. Now, this was not obviously what I wanted to hear. Like I said, this was who I was. It was everything to me. It, it was the one thing that had been a constant in my life. And yet here was this clear directive from the Lord. And I had to make a decision. And I spent the rest of the week praying on it. It was really, really tough. But before I came home, I made the decision, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what you ask. I'm going to be obedient. And this is scary, and I don't want to do it, but I'm going to follow through. Came back, sold my horse in two months, and completely stopped riding. It was not fun. To clarify that. It was, a, it was a tough thing. As I was getting ready for this talk, I had an opportunity to ask a lot of you in this room what the first thing was that came to your mind when you thought of sacrifice. And I got some really amazing answers. Uh, giving something up, losing something, something costly, doing something that's for someone else's benefit. I pulled up some pictures that I kind of thought of that go with our modern day view of sacrifice, right? That's not baseball. It's Kurt Schilling's bloody sock. Um, you know, the soldiers, the cross. These are things we think of when we think of sacrifice. And you, you, everyone had some great answers. And I thought to myself, okay, got the community's view of what sacrifice is. And now... Maybe I should find out what Webster says it is. He seems like a pretty smart guy. And I went and I read the dictionary, uh, which I think most of you do, because your answers were pretty much spot on. Uh, So sacrifice, an act of offering something precious to a deity, uh, something offered in sacrifice, destruction, (laughs) or surrender of something for the sake of something else, something given up or lost, a loss or deprivation. The second one there, you kind of want to roll your eyes a little bit, right? It's not like the one rule. Kelly, maybe you can back me up on this. Like, you can't define something by its own, by itself. But it, it made me stop, like, as I was kind of mocking him, being like, maybe Webster's not all he cracked up to be, that, that maybe he actually had something there. Maybe the difference was, was that when we think of sacrifice, we think of it as the thing we give up, when maybe what it actually is, is the action that we're taking, and I kind of rolled with this and went with it, and, and I found the Hebrew word that kind of translates into sacrifice, and it's korban, and it's from the same root as, as the saying, to come near, to approach, to become closely involved in relationship with something. I mean, we, all, we all know this. This isn't really a surprise to us that when we give up something, things change, right? If you hear nothing else tonight... I really want you to hear this. Sacrifice cannot exist outside of action, and it cannot exist outside of our relationship to other people. Sacrifice is the act of obedience. When we sacrifice for something, we, we, to do it, we have to be able to see people and see God and recognize that there's an intrinsic value in something bigger than ourselves, and we have to make the decision to participate in it. But really, like, as I've talked, I mean, why is it that important? I mean, we think about it. Things would be a lot easier if we didn't sacrifice, wouldn't it? We'd have more time, more money. We'd have a lot of the things maybe we still think we want. We'd have a lot more fun, honestly. It's not a fun thing. But one of the things that I, I love about my job here at Convergence is that I get to hang out with all of you. Pretty much my job is to spend time with some of the most awesome people I have ever met in my entire life. And I get to be with you for things that are really exciting, and I get to hang out with you with things that are really tough and walk with it. And I feel like maybe in the past few months I've learned a few things. 
And those things from walking and sitting with you and with myself as a community that I've learned is that we are lonelier than ever. We don't feel connected most of the time. We don't know where our value comes from. We were told that we should be self-consumed and concerned as we're in our 20s about getting ahead and making, you know, making our mark on the world. But when we look at people that act like that and that are so worried about themselves, we don't really want to be those people. The people that are supposed to lead us, that are supposed to inspire us, our bosses, you know, our church leaders, leave us instead uninspired and disenfranchised. But sacrifice? Sacrifice subverts all of that. It, it's a game changer because it makes us look at other people. We see this example of sacrifice throughout scriptures. I mean, it's permeated in there. You can't open a book of the Bible and not see this theme in there somewhere. And given that, I think maybe we should consider that sacrifice matters to God. And if it matters to God, it should matter to us. Before we get into the scriptures, I'd just like you to pray with me. Lord, we come to you not always sure where we're going or what you're asking from us, but Lord, with hearts that want to offer the best of what we have and the worst of what we have at your feet. Lord, would you take us in this place and in this moment and help us to understand your word. Amen. The first place I wanted to look is really at the beginning of the Bible because sacrifice bookends the Bible. We're going to take a look look quickly at Genesis 22. And I think a lot of us know the story. I'm sorry for the really small print. Um, It's an eye test, by the way, just so you know. Um, Right? So this is the story of Abraham and Isaac. So if you don't know it, it, you know, Abraham has a son, Isaac. God calls to him, asks him, hey, I want you to sacrifice your son. Abraham takes his son, Isaac, to the place where the Lord showed him, starts, you know, lays the altar, puts his son on it, gets ready, and the angel of the Lord comes and stops him. I think we, for the most part, or at least I am, really uncomfortable with this story. I either want to just kind of shove it off as being like, oh, you know, that was the Old Testament, that has nothing to do with now. Or be appalled that the Lord asked someone to sacrifice their child. Be angry at Abraham that he went along with it. But I think if we don't study this, if we don't know it, that we miss something really key and really important. See, look at verse 2. It can't really say, but it says, Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering to the place I'll show you. See, this, this wasn't just a kid of Abraham's. It wasn't, you know, the redheaded stepchild that he didn't want. This was Abraham's son that he loved. I think we could probably ask John and Mariah the, the sense that when you have a, a kid now, that you love this child, that it's, it's bigger than anything else that you face. And not only that, if we go back further in Genesis and we look a little bit, we see that Isaac was not only just his son, he was the promised son. He was a gift from God. Sarah and Abraham had Isaac when they were well past the age that we would think. They're 98, 99, 100. Definitely not an oops baby. This is definitely a miracle child here. And not only that, this was a son that God had promised Abraham that he was going to lay his covenant on. This was the one who, that through all of Abraham's like hopes and dreams was going to be fulfilled. Isaac was it. He was Abraham's future. He was his hope. He was his dream and aspiration for the world. He was everything to him. 
maybe what we miss when we rush through this story is that the sacrifice was never about Isaac. It was about Abraham. It was about Abraham's heart and his obedience and where Abraham found his identity. That the question the Lord was getting at was a question to Abraham of who do you trust? Do you believe what I've told you? Will you lay it down to follow me where I'm going to take you? Are you going to be obedient to me and know that I have a bigger picture than you can see? We see as we go down that the Lord didn't, didn't accept the sacrifice. And I read a lot and it says, When they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar and on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your only son. And he goes on to say, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. It was in his obedience, his willing obedience, to lay down everything that he had put his hopes and his future and his dreams on that we see a blessing come through. It was in that moment. Can you imagine what it felt like for Abraham? His hand is raised to feel the angel of the Lord reach down, grab his wrist, and say, don't. The, the sense of relief, the sense of closeness of thanksgiving that came in that moment. There was a drawing of relationship between Isaac and his father Abraham and between them and the Lord. Sacrifice is about obedience. It's a willingness. It's not a grudging thing. And, and that's where we look at Abraham. He didn't kind of trudge up the mountain, find whatever you want, argue all the way up there. He did the ultimate in something that we, see, we, we kind of struggle to do for our daily little things in our life. We're going to move ahead quite a bit. We're going to skip into the New Testament because this is kind of the end of the bookmark. When we think of sacrifice... We think of Jesus as Christians, like Jesus on the cross. That is our pinnacle of sacrifice, and it should be. But since we're in the season of Advent and we're getting close to Christmas, I want to push us to consider the manger as well. To look at the manger. Apparently, I just said no. <laughs> I'm sorry. That the manger itself is is really, if we're looking at subversive sacrifice, subversive leadership, is, is the example we need to look at. While the cross is an easily viewed expression of sacrifice, the manger is just as easy to overlook. You see, it represents something that's not a sacrifice of the body, but of a daily dream. Uh, this is the Lord of heaven giving up everything, every privilege, power, comfort, credit, and time to reach his hand and come down closer to us. It's the incarnation. And Janie talked about it a few weeks ago, that he came near to be, to be with us. But that's the definition of the Hebrew version of sacrifice, right? To become near. Not is it only a representation of God's sacrifice, but it's a representation of Mary's. Think about it. We think of Mary, the mother of God, but we forget sometimes that she was a teenager who found herself pregnant in a way that most people wouldn't believe. She chose to sacrifice 
this idea of who she was going to be, of her place in society, potentially the love and respect of her parents and her friends and her family. And we see, we see Joseph the same way, who is trusting in the Lord for a bigger picture as the angel comes to him and says, you're going to marry this girl who's telling you she's pregnant by, by my child, like with my child. And he may know that, but it doesn't mean he's going to be able to explain that to the, the men that he's grown up with, the society that suspe- expects him to have a certain kind of moral standard. Sacrifice surrounds the manger. As Jesus grows, he demonstrates sacrifice in every one of his, his movements and what he does for us. But in John 15, there's a conversation that we're all pretty familiar with, right? I've told you this so your joy may be complete. My command is this, love one another as I have loved you, for greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friend. If you're anything like me, that kind of lay down his life for his friend brings to mind images of soldiers diving in front of bullets, firefighters running into buildings, a really heroic, we're going to save someone's life by giving up ours. And I think that that's a part of it. But I think maybe that God had a bigger view of our narrow picture of what it means to, to sacrifice. We go into Luke and he say, he said, then he said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. If the call to sacrifice our lives for our, for our friends, for the, the fellow people we live with, wasn't, was just a one main thing, why would we have to take up our cross daily? Maybe, just maybe, I don't know, we don't get quite the free pass that we think we get when we're not called into a place of mortal danger. Because for honestly, most of us aren't going to be called to that. I mean, I know we think the U District is a little sketchy, but for the most part, we're probably not going to be diving in front of a bullet for someone. All that it couldn't happen here, but it's not an everyday occurrence that we're experiencing. What if instead it was more of a a daily laying down of your own aspirations and hopes and dreams. What if instead of jumping in front of a bus, it looked like turning down the hottest date of the year to hang out with your friend who just lost their job? What if sacrifice of of your life for your friends instead looked like turning down that once-in-a-lifetime job so you could stay close to your ailing parents? What if it looked like as a husband or a wife, giving up that argument, even if you know you're right, for the sake of your marriage as a whole. Giving up those Husky tickets, the big game, to go watch that student you mentor in a really bad version of Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> what if it looked like as a coworker or a, a, a boss, taking the heat for someone that you work with or that's a subordinate and not defending yourself and not blaming them? Maybe it's just me, but this idea of daily laying down, it's harder for me to to take than a once of giving up my life. Giving up my physical life in some ways is still heroic, right? You're diving from the bus, and I'm sure you're thinking lots of things, but people are going to remember you. There's going to be a big funeral for you, lots of crying, and it's going to be very sad. People are going to be like, this was an awesome person. Look at what they've done. The little things day in and day out, We're not going to get fanfare for. We're not going to have a parade thrown for us every time we take out the trash for someone. It's not going to happen. 
Sacrifice matters. It matters to us and it matters to God. More than matters, it's a vital part of life. It subverts what the world tells us we should do. And in fact, it tells us that people matter, that they have intrinsic value, that they're not alone. In the reflection of sacrifice and actions, our selfish motivation is brought to a stark contrast. People that serve a bigger picture make us see when we don't. One of the most subversive things about sacrifice is what it does to leadership. A few weeks ago, someone here in this room asked the question, we were talking about leadership with Janie, we were talking about the incarnation and incarnate leadership, right? And they asked, what about the rest of us? You know, what about those of us who, who don't have you know, a ton of people reporting to us? What about those of us who are interns, who pretty much report to everybody in the world? What does that mean for us, right? How do we, what, are we leaders? But sacrifice takes it. He take, it takes the, the corporate idea of what a leader should be, and it changes it because it makes it so that anyone can be a leader. Think of the people in your life uh, that you personally look up to, that you personally see as leaders. I'm going to bet that a lot of them are not the people the world tells you you should think are. They're not usually your bosses, minus John. Um, he... <laughs> But they're not. They're, they're the people that come alongside you in your daily life, that you're in relationship with. They're the people that, that go out to coffee with you, that pick up the phone at 2 a.m., that show up at the ER for you. They're, they're your own age. They're younger than you. They're older than you. Everyone, when you sacrifice for someone else, becomes a leader because your actions speak to those around you. I'll tell you a story to kind of give you a bigger picture of this. My stepdad is one of those people for me. Uh, his name is Dale, and he served in the Vietnam War. Uh, and he was just out of high school when he was drafted into the military and went over to Vietnam where he was put into kind of a, I don't really know exactly, it's like a troop or it's kind of a corps of engineers in some way. So they're the guys that are out fighting, and at the same time, they're the guys that are building kind of the bridges in your camp. So these, these are the front line of the front line people. They're a bunch of kids, you know, 17, 18 years old, and then some commanders. And one day, they're kind of walking through the jungle, Sorry. <laughs> I got a picture it. They're walking through the jungle. And there's this guy, you know, one of the other two mates, and he, he stops, and he, he's walking, and he hears this click and feels an indent. And he stops moving. And the guy just stepped on a landmine, and it was a pressure release one, so he wasn't going to go off until someone stepped off of it. And the troops are standing around, as my stepdad tells it, and they're, they're waiting, and they're kind of, what do we do? And if you knew anything about Vietnam, staying in one place for one time is not a good idea. So do you try to stay and help this one guy and risk everyone else's lives? Do you lead him? The commanders are kind of going back and forth. And in that moment, my stepdad made a choice. And he walked up to his buddy, this guy he served with, someone who's just like him, and he looked him straight in the eye, and he stepped onto the line with him. And he told him to go. And they did. They, he, the guys walked off, and they went to a safe distance away, and my stepdad stood there, knowing full well what he had done because he knew the value of the people's lives that he saw. And as he went to step off, you can imagine, since my stepdad now, that he lived. And that's right there. But he, it didn't go off. The landmine did not go off. And so he walked and caught up with the guys, and they headed off, and they came back a few days later, and there was a giant hole in the ground. Um, 
where it had gone. But the, the point of it wasn't whether or not he actually died. You see, because to the men that he served with in that moment, he became more of a leader than any of those guys with bars or stars on their shoulder. It was the fact that he recognized the inherent humanity and value of someone else above himself that spoke to the people that he was with. What would happen if we all did this? You know, we're not all going to step onto a landmine Muslim boat, but what if we all took up that idea of sacrifice and obedience, obedience to a bigger call, to a bigger picture? Think about it. It would take on the idea of incarnation. It would be leading from within because the people we saw as leaders are the people that we're in relationship with. They're the everyday people. They're, they're Carly and they're Kelly. They're Max and Erica. They're, they're everybody. They're the people that we follow. And they're the people that follow us. I think if we all could take on this mentality, we would see a bigger picture. We would understand more about humanity because we would see the value in other people. We would see the way our actions affected other people. We would actually maybe start to look like the body of Christ, right? Where one part sacrifices and gives to another, the other gives back to it. It's actually a completion. There's no loss in it we would have less fear and question about who we are and what we're doing. Because when we can willingly say, Lord, I would lay it all down to follow you, we don't have to worry about where we're going anymore. The beginning of the book of Matthew starts with a genealogy of Jesus. It's not the most exciting of reading, and we could probably question the literary intelligence of a man who starts with probably the most boring first chapter on the planet. But if we really look at it, we read it, we take the time to read those names, what we see is a demonstration of sacrifice through the generations. We start with Abraham and we end with Jesus. And every name in there laid something down. Not for themselves, but because they are obedient to the call that God led them on. And in doing so, they bless the world. See, sacrifice at its heart is about love. It's love for something bigger than yourself. We sacrifice for what we love, and we love what we sacrifice for. Our sacrifices tell people that we see them, that we value them more than ourselves and our time and our comfort and desire and hopes, that people matter to us in a real and tangible way. When we sacrifice, our horizons are expanded, and we can see a fuller and clearer picture of Christ and of the people that we spend time with. Our eyes are cleared, and our hearts are free for a moment. We're keenly aware of our reliance on God to provide that which we cannot do, and what most of the time we don't want to do. He fills us in those moments when we feel empty, and he rescues us from those places of danger. And while it brings us closer and closer into relationship with God, it brings us closer into relationship with each other, Because we cannot look into the eyes of the people we sacrifice for and not see the face of God. What we do for them, we do for him. When we look in their eyes, we can see the bleeding and broken back of our Savior for us. When we feel their tears, we can feel the tears of Abraham on Isaac's face for what he did for us. In that moment, we know the power of sacrifice, that it ripples like waves of grace across centuries. 
and touches people long after the original giver, the original thing, is gone. The sacrifices that they make and that we make, they blend together. They bring us into a closer idea of what it means to really be human. They provide for us a hope for the future and a connection to the past. Sacrifice is about obedience. It's an action. It's a state of our heart. It's not the thing we give up. It pulls us into a relationship with people that we cannot escape. It binds us to the Lord and to those that we spend our time with. Where are you? Where's your heart? If the Lord came to you today and said, I want you to lay it all down and follow me, would you do it? Could you do it? Because he is. It's a daily thing. But thank goodness by his grace that he helps us. As we come to him every day, as we come to the Lord's prayer, he does it for us. When we ask for his will and not ours, he starts to replace in our hearts his desires with ours. If you'll pray with me. Lord, we thank you that where we struggle to be obedient and to sacrifice and to draw near, that's exactly what you did in the Incarnation. Lord, you show us where we're going and how to do it, and you help us when we fall short. Lord, I pray that you would bless us, help us to seek your will as we go on. Amen. Thanks, Brenna. Um, Well, what do you think? what questions do you have? What's, uh, what's, uh, what would you add in uh, as you think about this? Because it's easy, it's easy to say. It's easy to talk. And Brenda did a great job uh, for us tonight. But uh, applying it is often a lot more complicated. It doesn't mean it's any less true. It just means that uh, it means sacrifice. And unfortunately, uh, sacrifice and obedience aren't always sexy. Although here I'm sacrificing for Brenna. <laughs> I said I do. We do the T-shirts together, um, but it's not. It, I think we, we a lot of times we want the thing I th- that I appreciate. We want the thing that is easy. We want the thing that's sexy. We want the thing that that uh, feels good immediately. And yet, oftentimes, it's that very thing that I think isolates us. So I, as I'm sitting there listening to you, I'm, you know, I'm thinking a lot of times you see, um, at least as I've observed, you see leadership management um, that might come off as seeming powerful because it might it oftentimes can seem aggressive it can seem like uh, they are kind of taking charge but often really it's defensive it's a place it's out of a place of weakness because they don't feel like they have anything to give so they're always having to protect always having to protect uh, themselves always having to protect their reputation always having because they're always afraid of something instead of saying I have a lot to give in my job here perhaps is to help somebody else grow and when I do that we're going to actually advance the goals of an organization, the goals of a church, the goals of a, of a company for that matter. If we spend all of our time protecting, um, yeah, it's not that it's not going to get us somewhere, but it's going to be a place of weakness. So anyways, that's a thought I had as we're listening. What questions, thoughts that you have or, or on this whole season or on this whole series? Come on, sacrifice. You can do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, it is a little small. Obedience is sexy again. And then on the back, it's kind of an inside joke, but we're scrumptiously missional. 
It's delicious to be. And then we're putting the fun back in sacrifice. Because, you know, if it's not fun, then you shouldn't do it. Anyways, we decided to come up with shirts that were, could be as confusing as possible. If they could, if the more contradictions we could put on a single shirt, the better. Anyways, thanks for asking. David? So is the question, I feel like I'm giving or, or what we can, we can feel like we're already giving everything we have. And yet I hear give more. So, sorry, I just want to clear, cause I want to make sure that I'm answering the, the right question. I think, and I think it, it's a good one. Maybe Brenda get, probably gets it better. She's usually smarter than I am anyways. Um, which is what interns are for, is to help correct you so you can look smart. Anyways, the point, uh, but I think there might, there's a sense of we, we maybe hear of these great um, examples of sacrifice, but a lot of times we feel like, well, okay, I, I have a job, I have a place, am I called to, am I called to give it all away? Or, you know, do I ha- does it have to look like Gandhi? Or, you know, I think, is that kind of what you're getting at? Brenna. <laughs> that sounds like a good question for you. Um, you know, I think, from what I'm hearing, John actually asked me a question that was kind of a similar vein, this idea of how do we not burn out on sacrifice, right? Like, how, when is enough enough? When, how do we know that we're doing too much? And I think that's where it's really key to consider kind of that relationship with people, right? So it's a drawing near and getting closer to someone. So if you're always just striving to give and sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice with no real connection to the people that you're around, or a connection to God, you're going to burn yourself out. You're, there's never going to be an end. You're just going to keep and keep giving. When we're in community, when we see people first and kind of see their needs and see what's going on in our place, and we, when we see what's going on in God's kind of kingdom, where we're at, we're able, I think, to respond in a, in a better way, in a, in a way that's not going to burn us out and kind of run us down to the very basic, and that we're not necessarily called to be Gandhi, right? I mean, that's not always who we are. And so I think that that's a big part of it, that if we're just giving kind of existentially and sacrificing, then yes, we're going to burn out and there's always another call. If we're in connection with people and we see them for who they are and what they need and we're, we're worrying about what they need, we're going to see those places that we can fill in. The idea of that body. You're not called to, to fill in every place that sacrifice is needed. Um, I think it's a it's a really good question because I think a, a lot of in a lot of ways what can happen is that in spirituality leadership we can feel like um, I'm not going to be or, or we hear examples uh, of kind of greatness and we and so we think well am I supposed to sell am I supposed to now sell everything maybe I shouldn't have what else did I felt it. I felt it which is hilarious because I felt when I first bought my Honda. 1995 Honda, I felt bad for it because I thought maybe I should be sacrificing more. I was an intern at the time, but I had some inheritance. And it was, for me, I felt like it was a nice car. And my boys still call it a sports car. Anyways, it's a 1995 Honda Accord. It's not that great a car, but for me, I had the sense of, but maybe I shouldn't have it because, you know, I should be sacrificing more. I'm an intern in, in ministry. I think the danger is that we can say, well, that the real Christians or the real spiritual people will, will do it, and then I'll just kind of do it over here. When I think, what Brenda's talking about, I think is really helpful. I think, I think there's a, a connection with joy, and I think there's a little bit of, there's a, little bit of a flip-flop here. where you, on some, Sometimes what you need to do is, especially if you're in a place where there is no joy, there is no connection, what you need to do is you need to kind of stimulate stuff, and you need to, and you need to make a sacrifice and get outside of yourself. 
But the other side is, is on the bigger things that you're talking about, um, kind of the, the more radical things, it really needs to come out of joy, and it needs to come out of a sense of call. And I think that would come out of your friends. I think it would come out of a sense of, of uh, not a I have to, but I want to. So that when you hear people talk about taking sort of huge initiatives, what happens is they feel like, well, I started here, and then it kind of went here, and then it went here. And, then, and now it just feels like it's a natural thing, it's a joyful thing, and it's a pinch but it's, it's joyful. Um, too often, I think, we feel like, well, I'll just do a little bit. Well, the problem is our society is full of people that are looking towards the greats instead of thinking, how do I serve right here, right now? How do I, how do I give uh, more of myself away at work? How do I give more of myself away within my church community, within my family, within my friends? How do I think about uh, serving the people around me even more? I mean, within families. I could say, well, you know, I do, I, I sacrifice because I'm a pastor or something. That's my spiritual job. I, I hang out with people, so that's a lot of sacrifice. Well, there's always more that I can be doing at home in taking time with my kids, taking time with my wife. And so what happens is when we just look for the greats, nothing really ever happens. And then we have organizations that are full of the very opposite of what we hope for. So I, it, it's a, it's a, it's a tough thing. We're not, and I think because if we think we have to sell everything, well, at some point there's got to be somebody in the industry, somebody at Microsoft, somebody at Boeing, somebody at, in the banking industry who is actually being sacrificial, who is thinking about giving themselves away for the betterment of that institution instead of going overseas to the mission field. Because that's when we go, well, the banks are corrupt. Well, the banks are corrupt because all the Christians left. So that you don't blame the banks. It's because the Christians aren't there or a particular industry or, or what, whatever it is. So I'm going to get on a tirade, so I'm going to stop. But thank you for the <laughs> good question. It gets me going. Anyways, yeah, right here. I want to push back a little bit on this idea of that sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He, I... here, here, here's a, and I'll let Brenna make sense of my answer. So what, the first thing I would say is that what we hear that for the joy set before him, Christ went to the cross. Um, I think what Brenna said is that she came to a moment where she said, if I, there's something bigger that I get if I give up the horse. Do I want to give up horse and the horse riding? No. But there's something bigger that I get. There's a set, that's where I would say that there's a sense of joy. So we can't, what I would be careful of, and I think it's a, it's a good clarifying question, we can't say, well, I don't feel like it, so I'm not going to do it. There, there's a, I guess what I would say is there's a little bit of a deeper existential joy and connection. Brenna talked about your connection to God, your connection to people that draws you. The only reason that Jesus would do this is because there's a connection with his father that, that begins to, to drive that. Yeah. I think for me where it came from was there's a difference between happiness and joy. In giving up writing and giving things up, I wasn't happy about it, and I was actually really sad, and it was painful. But... What came out, it was the same time it was held in this tension of knowing that, and this is what I didn't say at the end of the story, but uh, when I, like, the second, when I got off the plane, I had two messages, one from a study abroad program and one for World Vision, offering me both things, like, to lead me on to kind of this next path. And so, as I was even holding that tension, it was the sense of knowing that, yes, I'm not happy about this, but I, I know that this is what's right, and I have complete peace about it. Right? I wasn't doing it because I felt guilty or, or bad or feeling like, oh, my gosh, all these people give up so much. Now I have to do this. It was something's not right. I can feel it's not right. I'm not going to be happy about what I'm going to do here, but it's going to end. There's a kind of underlying separation there for me. 
Anybody over here? I know. Okay. Yes. Yeah, and I think it's it's the wider it's it, there's a wider I mean it's a wider call. It comes out of relationships. It comes out of a relationship with God. It doesn't come out of feeling. I think the, we get into trouble when we feel like sacrifices that I have to do it to please God. That there is a sense of He's angry with with me and I have to do it. It also, for instance, relationships. So I have a family. God's not going to call me to sell my house and leave them. He's not going to do that because that that is a calling that that He has. Um, that's a calling that he has placed before me, that I am responsible for them, and my sacrifices is to them. Now, for somebody else, they might be called to sell all they have and go serve in India. Okay? But they're not going to be throwing off things like family, for instance. So I think that that's where it comes out of the sense of relationship. There's a cultivation. I think it, it can't, it's not because it's, we all know, and I guess I would want to be careful, we all know of examples or we all can, can think of examples where this goes totally wrong and can get taken out of context. It doesn't mean that we don't do it. It doesn't mean that we don't move out of a sense of self-protection to giving to others. It's essentially it's giving to other people. It's giving to the world instead of trying to, to take. I think we're, I'm going to have the worship team come up and finish. Last thought? Um, last thought, just from kind of what I'm hearing here, the only thing I'd want to caution us on is that we don't, we, we, it's really easy for us to rank sacrifice, right? Big sacrifice, small sacrifice, and kind of get proud or feel bad in regard to the way we compare um, ourselves to other people and their sacrifice. And I would just really encourage us that it's about the relationship that you have with God and a drawing near to him and him drawing near to you. And that's the only place that that kind of where your heart is and what you do should be measured, not to the people around us and what we see them doing. I think in, in, uh, to finish on that, on the where it finds you, Calcutta, and, and to the questions that we have that are, that are are the exact questions we need to be asking and doing so as a community and continuing to do so as a community because it's, we, it's figuring out what am I called to sacrifice in this moment? Where, where, am I called, where am I called to speak with grace and truth? Where am I called to invest myself? Where am I called to, to extend into um, a place that maybe is uncomfortable? And how can I actually begin to build instead of just take? Um, these are the questions you got to, we have to ask within community. And as we do so, we will dis- we'll discover that. And I, as we do so, honestly, I believe this is, how, this is how we begin to subvert the things that we all like to complain about, that they do. But this is where we get to go in and begin to make a difference. In, not in church, not in just in moments, but in the places that you work. And some, I know some of you work in places that probably feel like it's sucking the life out of you. How does that change? We'll begin to, as we engage this kind of conversation.